Borak Dog Earthlets! My name is Connor, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the second episode of the Judge Dredd Magazine Primer! A podcast where two Americans try to establish a foundation of knowledge to come to grips with the Judge Dredd Magazine. This episode, we're talking about Judge Dredd and his relationships with a specific out-of-towner arriving in Mega City One, then that megalopolis's political structure, and a few stories from the early days of Judge Dredd's career. Uh, to that end, we're looking at Dredd's stories from all over his history. You can find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 1, 10, 11, and 13. How you doing, Eli? I'm doing great. All Happy right. to be back. Yeah, happy to have you back, man. We're just going to jump even further into some real crazy Judge Dredd stuff. There's yeah, we're, we're going deep. Yeah, yeah definitely. A lot of a lot of lore one way or another like background for this character. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I feel like a, an analogy. Earlier I feel like I had about a foot in. Mm. Now I feel like I'm about waist level or Ooh. somewhere in that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Judge Dread Magazine. You're soaking in it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got some cool artists coming up in this uh, uh, primer. First, and probably most importantly, is Cam Kennedy. Uh, in 2000 AD, he's done some key Dread stories and a lot of sci-fi war stories like Rogue Trooper and the VCs, which I know are terms that don't mean a lot to you, but sort of, you know, people are picking it up, I guess. Um and we'll and uh, we're getting started here by by looking at a at a at a dread character he created that's sort of a version of himself and his ex- experiences as a Scottish comic artist coming over to America and trying to get into the comics industry there. Um, that that character is going to come back at the start of the magazine. So like, to me, it made sense that we check out his earlier appearance here. Basically, it's also a very uh, meta way to get yourself in the the story. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just like, a, yeah, this, this is me, whatever. Yeah, feel feel that though, because uh, my heart went out for this character. I I, I understood a lot of. Uh, yeah, I feel but, like I feel like of the Judge Dread characters, this is one that I feel like you have a you have a connection. You might have a connection to. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. After that, we're going to look at the darker side of the Justice Department with art by Robin Smith, John Higgins, and Jeff Anderson. Uh, Robin Smith is the longtime art director of 2000 AD. John Higgins is a big UK comics artist. He's worked with Alan Moore a bunch of times, including as the colorist for the comic Watchmen. And uh, Jeff Anderson also done a lot of uh, 2000 AD and Marvel UK work. They will finish off with some classic Dread stories by Mick McMahon and Ian Gibson. Uh, Mike or Mick McMahon was was one of the first artists on Dread and went on to help create um, the look of several key 2000 AD figures. And Ian Gibson, another long-running British comics artist, best known for his amazing art in the cult classic, The Bat, The Ballad of Halo Jones. But with all that, let's get started with our first story. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. The Art of Kenny Who. <laughs> we start off with the uh, – I, I put in the cover of uh, Prog 477 here, which is for this story of his – Kenny who walking through Mega City One with um lo- looking at a at, at a biter getting a uh, gagged and stuff like that and you know yes. he's saying and- Jinx with uh, <laughs> Jinx is in plaid because of course right. it's Scottish that's how it goes yeah and is that a common are there just biters around and that's a common thing you put on their heads I I don't know if I've seen it before or since but I kind of yeah. feel like it is like yeah, it makes sense. I think it's, you. If- if you remember, like last episode when we did a uh, uh, graveyard shift, there was that there were those bite fighters. Oh right, yeah, that were like yeah. like doing that. So like you know, fair amount of biting in Mega City One on the whole, I guess. All right, <laughs> a lesser known thing, but yes, yeah, makes not sense. not quite a subculture, more just kind of a hobby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but so script robot for this one is John Wagner, and Alan Grant is TB Grover, art robot Cam Kenny, letting robot Tom Frame. So uh. We start the Mega City One Atlantic Terminal as a fellow from the Caledonian, from the Caledonian Hab Zone arrives. It's Kenny Who, or sorry, Kenny Who, a comic artist <laughs> here, here in the Meg to make his fortune. And yes, he does have that question mark as part of his name. So it's very important to, pronu- to pronounce it correctly. Right. So Dred's working, uh, cut, doing customs work. He's not impressed by Kenny. So he takes him in for advanced processing. They like strip him down, make him throw up, eventually let him into the city on a 24-hour permit. Uh, Kenny yes. has – yeah, <laughs> just bad times here. Just judges being real tough with people. 
And he's Kenny, not a fan of comic artists, I guess. You know, like listen, they don't they don't have any respect for his comic arts or something. <laughs> um, so Kenny rushes to Big One Publishing and seals himself to show off his portfolio. But suddenly, look out! It's a biter. Just his luck. Yeah. Bitey mega citizen, a bitey mega citizen gets loose and attacks Kenny. The citizens are cheering him on. Like, get that guy. He's got that Bruno. <laughs> right. Uh, he also takes being bitten very calmly. He's just like, a, ah, ah, dude on my mouth, on my leg. Yeah. Like, you he, know, he, he's, he's very chill about it. Yeah. He's more surprised than like angered by it for sure. I would have been maybe screaming, freaking out, flailing. With, if a human has their mouth around my shin bone, but whatever. Well, you know, I think you just got to roll with the punches when it's the future, you know? Right. That, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a, a judge arrives. He takes the biter off Kenny with, yeah, that uh, Jaws of Life thing that we saw on the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kenny has to wait. An, um, and then Kenny has to wait another three hours to get his rabies shots. And back finally again at Big One Publishing, Kenny arrives just in time for the office to close for the day. The door is being shut right in his face. I'm an artist, damn it, an artist. And I actually really love this panel. I took a screenshot of it because uh, him just on the wall, the perspective, uh, the shading, that one uh, really connected the desperation that he's feeling there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Cam Kennedy's a great artist. He's done actually some Star Wars stuff as well. He's a real fun um, – he's, he's got some real fun physicality with a lot of these characters. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kenny laments his fate outside of Big One when the door opens and the robot doorman agrees to let him in. After we do get some like Abbott and Costello stuff with like, you know, what's your name? Who? That's what I'm asking you. Who is mm-hmm. my name? You know, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> finally gives his card and whatever else. Never gets old. Yeah. Listen, you got to do these jokes. <laughs> um, an editor looks over Kenny's stuff and Kenny has a cup of synth calf and passes out from tiredness. But he wakes up. When he wakes up, the editor breaks it to him. His stuff isn't that great. They won't hire him. He should go back to Calhab. Oh, geez. At a local bar, Kenny drinks and feels sorry for himself. Sit next to a guy that um, is apparently actually a um, a caricature of the writer for this story, uh, John Wagner. <laughs> so it's a double cameo. I like yeah, that. yeah, double cameo. The two of them just uh, lamenting their lives, trying to get into American comics, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kenny's dream has died when on the news suddenly he sees that Big One has announced a new artist, Jimmy Who, who draws just like Kenny. Oh, no. What are the odds? Kenny's angry. Big One has stolen his talent. He grabs a nearby axe just lying around, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah, listen, got to have him around here. And heads to Big One. He chops down the door and the doorman stalks through the building. I'm coming for you, Jimmy Who. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Apparently that door was made out of some type of very light. It's either, I don't know how hard it is to decapitate a robot with an axe. Mm. But he does it in just one swift motion. So all that obviously has his arms really powerful. Uh, and mastery over an axe the same way it is a pen. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I felt that. Yeah, listen, the pen is mightier than the sword, but it's equally as strong as an axe. I think we've all heard that adage, Eli. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard it earlier today, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this takes us to uh, the final episode. Kenny Who, comic artist, he's running through just sort of a re- basically the first page of kind of a recap of him just sort of rushing, you know, cutting through more doors with his axe demanding to know who Jimmy Who is. <laughs> um, so he moves through and um, we do get a moderate amount of like uh, of like Stan Lee-isms in here. Like he says, mm-hmm. like uh, like as Kenny confronts his editor with a, with an axe. These, the, the, the editor says, uh, okay, enough said. It's truth-telling time, tiger. Which is very, <laughs> like, sort of a set of just uh, Stan Lee, like a ter- terminology that he'd say. <laughs> but so the editor reveals that he liked Kenny's portfolio um, so, um, so much, but he can't afford to pay a human artist. So instead, he had a robot scan it and do art in the style of Kenny. Yeah, happens all the time. It's a big trouble in the art community. His robots taking our jobs. Well, not yet, but soon, right? 
I mean, I imagine it's close, you know, like you got like some robot colorists and letterers and stuff like that. It's only a matter of time before they start procedurally generating the comics and all kinds of stuff like that. The the anecdote, I did think there was, uh, I thought a robot recently did a painting or made a movie. Um, uh, The painting was nice and actually sold really well, Mm -hmm. but the movie didn't make any sense. So they're still working Uh, on that. Yeah. So there are uh, robot painters out there. Like, I don't know. I'm mostly going for human painters these days, like robot elephant i'm not into i'm not into the non-human <laughs> painting myself you should call you old call me old-fashioned right well like the idea of a robot painting something like it's all just that i always call this stuff and like it's all these like boston dynamics videos and stuff it's just these like like i don't like things that are like the opening montage of a movie where the robots have taken over you know where they kind of have like a bunch of like newscasts and stuff like oh well, like robots have taken over you know, uh, uh, housework you know blah 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 <laughs> It's like the robots have launched the nukes, you know, <laughs> right. sort of evolution of things, you know. Yeah. Well, we'll wait. We'll see how close this is to the, the present. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Kenny meets Jimmy, the robot copier, not pleased. He chops Jimmy up and gives the uh, gives the editor a Glasgow kiss, a.k.a. a headbutt. <laughs> and then decides to get out of there. He steals a hoverboard for, or a, a a power board, I guess that, that they're calling it here from the company stores. Starts surfing to to uh surfing to back to back to Britsit or back to the Cal Cal Calhab to um escape uh justice. And this is also kind of a a reference to another Cam Kennedy story, uh The Midnight Surfer, which we'll talk about in an episode or two. Um, but he's surfing away and, uh, you know, the judges are called, etc. He, uh, he passes dread in him. Kenny passes dread in immigration just before the APB comes in. He tries to leg it to the transatlantic zoom, but a ricochet bullet keeps him from boarding. Dread arrests the artist and Eli, I know it's your favorite thing because you've got to finish this off with a pun. <laughs> Come <laughs> with me and draw some time. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I feel like uh, this must have been so personal to the actual artist because uh, I definitely the the anger and frustration. This had to have been a nightmare to imagine. Like, what if our jobs are obsolete in like in the future? Yeah, although what? I think even less than the robots, it might be just. I think this might be like he um, he felt like he showed his portfolio to some big comic companies in America, and they didn't mm-hmm. hire him, but they did hire like other cheaper artists that sort of copied his style, even right. Like, yeah, not even just robots, but just copying in general, I guess. Right, and you kind of when it first started, he was explaining how he was talented. I was like, okay, so is is he really talented, or is he, he just perceiving himself as talented? Mm. Uh, so it had to uh, come from a real place because this artist is really talented. So I do have to imagine uh, with that confidence, they probably did go to some places like, hey, I got talent. I got skills. I got whatever you need. And then yeah. he turned down to then, you know, then you end up working on Dread. You end up working on some, uh, Star Wars, you know, so it, it shows. You get there eventually. Yeah, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. Absolutely. So this feels like, yeah, for me, this story does feel really personal just about, um, you know, his experience with trying like because a lot of the bit like a lot of the thing in this in this era of like British comics is you sort of a st- like there's sort of a pipeline almost where you establish yourself in like 2000 AD and other British comics. But then you get hired usually by like DC or something like that to uh, draw superhero comics, which is where the actual money is basically. Right. And uh, it also ended uh, fairly vague. You know, draw some time, of course, was, you know, definite, but we don't know his fate yet. Uh, oh. So it looked oddly optimistic for what I was expecting. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dread usually put, puts people in jail instead of killing them or something like that, despite what we're about to talk about. But, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Kenny, who will be back, we'll see him like in the early um, issues of the magazine, I believe. So this nice. is definitely like to be continued in the Meg for uh, for Kenny Who for sure. But now with that with the with with the fun of Kenny Who's descent into madness done, it's time to get a little bit more serious. We get started talking about democracy and our first story: letter from a Democrat. <laughs> 
Other stories, uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art Robot John Higgins. Lettering about Tom Frame. So this is an important uh, uh, dread story. I should say, I guess, is sort of in terms of American politics and stuff like that. Like when they talk about Democrats and democracy, of course, it's being just in favor of democracy in general, as opposed to the political parties which when, of, of America, which don't make you know a, lot, a ton of sense or are, are yes. familiar to a to, to a to the mostly British audience that would be uh, that would be uh, listening to or that would be reading these comics, right? So it's morning in Mega City One as a letter is written to a man named Gort. We see terrorists preparing to strike and a morning chat show begin. The terrorists uh, gun down security droid as the writer recalls the fear that she, Gort, and their kids living in Mega City One under constant threat from the judges. She's tired of judicial of judicial oppression and her and her friends in the Democratic Tendency, which is a uh, group are taking over the chat show to return power to the people. Naturally, Dred's called in as the tendency reads their demands, mostly go back to democracy and depower the judges. The judges themselves are closing in and the tendency decides to go out fighting because people only remember martyrs. Dred comes right. in. He wipes them all out. Oh, geez, it's a bloodbath. <laughs> and this lady's final words are democracy or death. Later, at Block UK, which seems to also be kind of a reference to the current political situation in the mid – or what, what people felt like the situation was in, in mid-1980s England. Mm. Um, uh, Gort is questioned by Dredd about his wife's involvement in the democratic tendency, but he didn't know anything. Her letter ends sadly. She just wants a better life for her kid – her kids, but instead she's taken away on a slab – and we'll, this is sort of the start of this discussion of a democracy in Mega City One, of which we'll see much more as we go on. Yeah, actually, it was very interesting just the premise of this one mm-hmm. um, because I don't know who I was rooting for the, this through this whole chapter. Uh, yeah, like, definitely. Uh, but I guess the point is that whatever system you're into, there are flaws, you know. So. Yeah, I think like like this story specifically was really a shot across the bow in terms of this idea of um, the judges not just being good guys, I guess. Right. Or like, yes. And like and like the government that they're part of, like not just being like a perfect good guys and things like that. You know, there sort of been yeah. th- there have been hints of that stuff since the start of Judge Dredd, but this was very much like like making it very explicit. Like, right. maybe you shouldn't be rooting for these folks, these judges right. and stuff like that. Which is brilliant. Uh, having uh, complex characters and systems uh, just makes the world that much more believable. Yeah, definitely. I think it, you know, it kind of puts a contrast when there are big things that you end up rooting for the judges for because it means that they really have to be like the worst stuff ever, which we'll also talk about later, you know, where it's like, you know. Yes. Like it can't just be like usually it, it it can't just be like a tyrant or something. It's got to be something crazier than that because right. the me- mega city one itself is already pretty tyrannical, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But so that t- but so that's sort of the the first shot across the bow. The next one is in a story called Reasons called Reasons to Be Fearful. <laughs> uh, script about John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot Cliff Robinson. Or, or sorry, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. I got this one incomplete. Yeah, sorry, this one I I I I wrote it wrong in our primer thing. The art robot here is our Robin Smith, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, so this, um, yeah, a, uh, we see a, a man wakes up. He finds his wife is a rotting corpse. His shower is spraying acid. His porridge is full of mag of maggots. There's aliens on the view screen. All as the judges look on. <laughs> Uh, Dred's leading the charge here, shooting the um um, because he's shooting this guy with some sort of a fear amplification beam. This appeared in an earlier Judge Dredd story that was like j- just a a fear gun, like it it makes you see what you're most afraid of. But I see that was an a or it, it was a, called a nightmare gun then, but now it's been refined by the Justice Department, and it's the fab fear amplification beam. <laughs> Which isn't as dangerous of a name, but like, I, yeah, I get it. It's one of those banality of evil things. Like, it sounds silly, but it's also right. d- destroying this guy's life, you know? Right. Yes, completely. 
I, I, I should say also that when the nightmare gun was was uh, first appeared, they used it on Dread, but it didn't work because he doesn't have any fears. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> That's B.A. Yeah, good times. This time it opens up the ground in front of this guy, making him see devils rise up and attacks him, makes a public scene, and Dredd shows up and offers him uh, psychological help. This takes him to the shrink-you-like service secretly run by the judges. Um, they re- yeah, they, they refer him to Dr. Uh, Hebdomen, pro- possibly a reference to uh, Charlie Hebdo or maybe a 2080 ar- uh, artist or author Alan Hebden. And this man, who we learned is named Mr. Hardy, complains about his problems to the doctor and says the judges would love to get him on something when the judges hit him with the fab again and a ton of snakes appear out of nowhere. Oh, no. <laughs> um, the shrink explains that these visions are symptoms of deep-rooted guilt for his attacks on the judges because um, he apparently criticizes them constantly. The doctor suggests a simple solution. Renounce your beliefs or spend your days living in fear. It's easy. Yeah. Whichever one, it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you which one to pick. Yeah. Hardy leaves and the shrink is revealed to be a judge himself disguised as a shrink. Yeah, <laughs> and, judge Evans. Yeah. Evil Judge Evans. Um, and, then the ne- and then that night, um, Gus Hardy appears on his show called Know Your Rights, saying he's been wrong all along. Long live justice. Long live the judges. <laughs> I thought this one was interesting because I always took the judge's justice as, you know, kind of a judgment, kind mm. of like a um, a system in which to evaluate people, situations, circumstances. But this is the first time I get to see them be like manipulative. Yeah. Like, um, hey, I'm going to try to force the way you think into a different direction for the greater good or for justice, as I assume they'd uh, justify it. Yeah, Which I found weird. Like it's it's definitely an interesting switch. Yeah, them taking a much more proactive role in this stuff kind of is is disconcerting, as opposed to being just reactive and letting people do crimes and then right. respond to sense, it. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a giant city, I guess it makes sense that you'd want to have con- some some control over people and stuff. Although mm. you know, it's just sort of like yeah, it's just a a telling detail, I guess. Right. Yes. And this story came maybe two or three uh, progs before this next one we're going to talk about. <laughs> Revolution. Uh, scripter about John Wagner, Alan Grant. Artner about John Higgins. Lettinger about Tom Frame. And this one sort of is really what we've been building to both with the previous story and with Letter for, from a Democrat specifically. Yeah. Um, I, want, I do want to note about the coloring and uh, – Ooh, yeah. Uh, Reading on this one, uh, very well done. They use even on the um, image above uh, uh, "Cry from the City." Yeah, uh, uh, they didn't even use any blacks. They just used dark blues and purples in order for the shading contrast. Um, they didn't use outlines for structures. They just let the separation of the color uh, separates the figures from the background. Mm-hmm. It's actually really impressive. Very hard to do. Um, hats off to him for this one. Yeah, I really love the the the, the coloring in this story. Generally, actually, especially yeah, like the um, how we see like a lot of the democracy stuff is either in full color or in blue, and then like the Justice Department's all in red and stuff like that. Like it really right. kind of kind of kind of colors these two forces in different ways that really let yeah. you. That, that really kind of, you know, gives you an idea of who you're supposed to be rooting for and stuff like that, I guess. Um, but at a massive assembly, a speaker talks about the death of Hester Heyman, uh, Franklin Ludd, J. Williams Williams, and Ruf, and Rufer Tuttle during the that letter from a Democrat story, which was about, uh, I want to say, like maybe two years before this story was in the progs. Um Inspired by the democratic tendency, among others, the speaker calls for a return of the power of the um, for the return of power to the hands of the people. And Gort Hyman's Hester Husbands takes the podium, talks tearfully about his wife's sacrifice and the need for a depowering of the judges. Return to democracy in the city. Uh, the first speaker returns to the podium. This lady's named Blondell, um, and she um, sort of and, and, and she announces the uh, Hester Heyman. Oh, sorry. 
Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She announces uh, that, that their group, the Hester Hyman Trust, uh, made up of a bunch of different Democratic groups in the city, are calling for a massive march on the Hall of Justice tomorrow to demand change. She calls for no violence, just action, power to the people. Afterwards, we see some journalists questioning uh, Chief Judge Silver about all this, who's the, uh, the head of the Justice Department at this time. And he's seemingly not that worried about it. Like, if people want to march, that's fine, as long as they, they remain within the law. But after they leave, he just turns and says, get Dredd in here. <laughs> get this dealt with. Um, Dredd, or Judge Chief Judge Silver gives Dredd unlimited authority to deal with the march. They can't just shut it down outright. But that doesn't mean they can't get real sneaky about how they can stop it from doing stuff. Right. Um, it's, you know, he... It's needed and – or they say it's needed and Dredd's worried about the city. It's way too quiet out there and he just sees this to, to democracy march as one big riot waiting to happen. Mm. Um, technically, even if he's the one that's going to turn it into a riot, but whatever. Right. Yeah, um, exactly right. Not have anything to say about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So he decides to target the leaders of the march no matter how far they have to reach. Like one lady or one leader was married six times but signed her name incorrectly on one of them, which means right. that she's technically committed bigamy. Um, right. And they managed to pay like several of her ex-husbands to 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 accuse her of it. Um, right. Another – That's right. You know, make sure you uh, remember how you sign – and you got to be proper. careful about it. Yeah, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, they find another guy who wore a uh, – who during the Apocalypse War, this big uh, battle that destroyed most of the city was was um, accused of being a collaborator, but it was just mistaken identity. But then after that, another two years later, he wore a Sov – a, 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 a uniform of the enemy from that war to a costume party. And so that's mm -hmm. enough to, just to smear him as a collaborator basically. <laughs> um, the only ones they they can't go after. Um, they haven't found anything yet on the leader uh, Blondel Dupree or on Gort Hyman, the uh, uh, Hester Hyman's uh, uh, husband. But Dred's determined to have something to take out Gort. Um, he's going to betray the memory of his wife by the end of this. Yeah, he's evil. <laughs> <laughs> So next up, we see uh, judges bursting into the house of one of the Democratic leaders, sending him to a holding or sending him to holding just because of an overdue vid, uh, vid slug, like an overdue library book. And there's kind of like he's old. There's going to make him like stand around all night and stuff. So he becomes all fatigued and stuff. Right. What is it? No food, no drink. Just keep him walking. Don't let him go to sleep. Exactly. Um, I think that'll break me. I don't think I can handle it. Listen, yeah, I'm weak. I'm not going to do nothing about it. Um, <laughs> we see like uh, we, we we see the uh, bigamy charges making their way through the media. Although we do see that at least one of these husbands has a bunch of like scratches and cuts on his face. Like he's clearly been beaten up to make these charges. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. When they ask. Uh, uh, are there any truth in the suggestion that judges have put pressure on you to make these statements? And he's like, don't be ridiculous. He's got band-aids, a busted lip, like a yeah. swollen cheek. I, I fell down some steps, obviously. Definitely. Listen. Um, <laughs> the collaborator charges mounting as well. Morton Phillips tries to explain himself, gets yelled at by people to be to be the people that he betrayed, and there's like shouting and fro thrown fruit and stuff like that. Love a good, love a good fruit throw. That's excellent. That's old school. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's uh, like his reputation's ruined. The people that were harassing him turn out to be members of the Wally Squad, those undercover judges we talked about in the mega special and stuff. Um, right. So it's, it's a false flag operation. Still, as Newt approaches, the march is still on. Um, and it starts over 20 million people are assembled to walk. But before Gort Hyman, Hyman can join them, Dread knocks on the door. He wants Gort to come out against the march and that the Hester Hyman Trust sh uh, should work with the Justice Department, not against it. He, If he doesn't, well, listen, hey, buddy, you're a model citizen. We haven't found nothing wrong with you. So I guess we'll just induct your two kids into the Justice Department to become judges themselves. Right. So they'll probably die. Uh, admittedly, I mean that's. I mean, the, they'll certainly be taken away and brainwashed into the like to become judges and stuff like that. Right. Like you know, and it's they might even come after him one day. 
Yeah, and like, yeah, and plus it is a, a high casualty uh, job as well, you know. Right. Um, so Gort finally goes along with it. He demounts the march. By the time it starts, the leadership is down to Blondel Dupree and an exhausted Kenzel Davichek, who is, who is the uh, library book guy we see. With 16 million at their backs, the pair start to march forward for democracy. And it's, I just really love the, like, yeah, like, like we we're talking about, like, like Higgins does an amazing job of shifting between these, um, like sort of close in shots of people doing like duplicitous things or planning. And then these real wide shots of, of all the city itself and like, you know, this giant road full of people snaking through this giant th- this huge cityscape and thing and stuff yeah. it's, it, and it's really great they never actually map out the city right because nah, it's like not down to the block for sure that makes sense because i see these shapes and they're very fun i can see as a create uh you know an artist you know and then here's a dome and here's these tunnels it's a street and then yeah you're yeah, good. yeah domes spires like winding like a like a like a uh, layers and layers of streets things like that that's all mega city one there's sort of some vague ideas of like sectors and things like that but i don't think yeah. any i don't think anybody who's actually making the comic really takes that stuff that seriously in right. terms and I think, of i think that's good it, it allows it to be playful and still very creative and come out really nice without being overly complicated um, yeah, because I think like if you actually had a whole like I don't know atlas like specific atlas of Mega City One or something that feels like like it'd be more confining than actually um, opening things up. I think as opposed to just kind of like yes. oh it's just some stuff. Listen, don't worry about it. You know I don't know. <laughs> so next up, uh, actually the 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 cover we started with Democracy and this one are some of my favorite Dread um, images. Like we've got the cover of Prague 533, which is Dredd just pointing a gun at the reader and says, uh, democracy isn't working on it. <laughs> that takes us to the final part of revolution. And again, we've just got this really cool image of all these folks walking, like, you know, in kind of blue and more natural colors, uh, 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 marching to the Justice Department. And then in red, it's just Judge Dredd and all these armored riot judges preparing themselves. Like it's a cool yeah. um, uh, 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 um, contrast. Yeah, I like those riot helmets. I think they're a very interesting take on the judge. Oh uh, yeah, helmet. yeah. They've got like built it like on on most of these judge helmets. Like the badge on like the forehead can be like pulled down to become a gas mask, basically. Oh, but the oh. but but but. But for these riot helmets, that, 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 that's sort of built in automatically and like then they've been sort of stormtroopered up a little bit as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. Just sort of the, the, the base guy. It, it's like when riot cops wear gas masks, I guess. Um, as the march begins, the justice blasts Let's the marchers. See. Oh, oh, yeah. Right. Power to the people. Yeah. Very nice. We've got some blood droplets on the Judge Dredd showing the things are going to – might get violent. Oh yeah, definitely on the cover. Yeah, it's like all these bloodstained signs and slogans and stuff like that. It's good times. <laughs> <laughs> the march begins. The judges blast the marchers with sound waves, causing them to become unsettled and uneasy. Meanwhile, undercover units are sowing dissension in the crowd. As the march advances, Kendall Kendall Davidcheck collapses and is taken away, and we're entering the final stage. The instigators move up. Rocks are thrown at the judges. And that's the line. Assault judges roll out and it's just all fists and day sticks. Undercover units identifying themselves as family men. The people in the march panic and run. And Dredd just lets them go, wiping the blood off of his day stick. It's a, that's some high-level manipulation. Even oh, yeah. They, they, they've got the whole, the whole playbook going on here, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy, you know, all these false flags and other things like that. That night, Judge Silver addresses the city. The di- disorder at the march is a symbol of the difficulties of democracy. The Justice Department is the only way that the people of Mega City One can be safe. Democracy is dead. The revolution is over. At a sector house, the masses are arrested, or the masses arrested at the march are processed. Blondel Dupree yells at Dread. They've stopped them this time, but you can't stop ideals, freedom, truth, democracy. All lives all live in the hearts of the people, and one day they're gonna beat you. Right, which is really and nice. That chance, you know, we'll see. But yeah, this one ends as just being the end of the beginning. Right. We'll check in with these characters actually in our primers a little bit 
uh, right before we start Mega City One, before we start uh, the magazine. Um, in the uh, in the story, a letter to Judge Dredd, and then sort of some other sort of pre stuff leading up to the Necropolis story, uh, are related to all that stuff. But um, yeah, this like concept of just of just like there being this democratic sentiment in Mega City One, and Dredd especially being one of the key people in charge of stopping it, is something that 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 that, that becomes kind of an undercurrent through uh, Judge Dredd's um. Through, through through Judge Dredd stories in uh, Mega City One. Yeah, and I mean, I understand Dredd's stance on it because uh, if there was a system that made all his training and experience unneeded, then that would that's like uh, flying in the face of his whole existence and all the blood, sweat, and tears he's been putting into this this whole time. Yeah, exactly, um, and just like. You know, um, like, you know, the, the Judge Dredd world is a post-apocalyptic one. You know, it's one where that, that sort of starts with the United States, not unlike our own, but then sort of elected leaders led to, you know, massive atomic wars and things like that. Um, and that the Justice Department sort of rose out of that chaos, basically, to kind of bring peace and order. So. Mm. I think, like, you know, there are times where Dredd's been asked about and he's really said, like, um, you know, we're what stands between humanity and chaos. And right. if we have to break a few, you know, and like if we have to oppress some people or do some do some bad things, well, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, basically. Right. Yeah. Or something. And probably, it could be my uh, experience with uh, that type of democracy. Mm. But uh, I think between the two. I think it's that eh, actually we we don't need to get political. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I think Listen, it's right. I think I think everyone like I think a lot of like I I think it's pretty easy to agree that the Justice Department of Mega City One is not really the way you'd like like we'd like to live our lives. Just as you know, I think I think we're all re- everyone's reasonably freedom loving, and this seems to be very anti freedom. Right. Yes. As we see in our final story about politics this time, literally just called politics. <laughs> this is actually a really recent story in comparison to a lot of the other stuff that we've that we've uh, talked about. I think this episode, like this uh, issue, will either be just out or um, about to come out as we're talking about it here. Oh wow. Um, that's why this one's in full color, whereas the rest of the dreads just sort of have maybe a page or two of color, and then and, right. and the rest is black and white. So, uh, script wrote about John Wagner, art and, and or yeah, J- John or script wrote about Alan Grant, art wrote about Jeff Anderson, letting wrote about uh, Tom Frame. So we start as a celebrity named Vanilla Bat Cave. Oh, geez, stands in front of an official free speech zone. We sort of see these before sometimes in Judge Dredd, where um, they'll just sort of be. An area where you can stand and say whatever you want with no consequences, essentially. Mm. Um, and she's preaching a pro-democracy de- de- message. A passerby tries to make um, conversation with Judge Dredd, who's working guard duty. But Dredd just kind of braces him. You know, he, he's like th- this passerby is like, oh, man, like, you know, I'm into democracy because that lady's hot. If she told me <laughs> to b- believe in rancid dog meat, I'd do that, too. Right. Yes. <laughs> obviously someone you want on the team right yeah so Dredd just says get out of here or, like you know if she steps out of line then I'll arrest her and everybody here basically <laughs> when suddenly a couple of hover cars fly by open fire on the judges with laser beams taking several judges out including Judge Dredd yeah I was very surprised they're all don't t- know yeah, they're all taken out by these vehicles. They land and terrorists within them kidnap Vanilla Batcave. They say they're the sons of the Iron Lady. Don't even think about democracy. It's sort of a Margaret Thatcher reference here in 1989. Like, you know, I thought we were done with this. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she gets – so the – um. More judges arrive and statements are taken. The sons of the Iron Lady hand over their prisoner to a mysterious uh, – to someone mysterious. Mm. And uh, Vanilla Batcave wakes up to the news broadcast saying that the, all the judges are okay but injured and that she herself is missing. Um, mm. But we see she's actually being watched over by Judge Dredd because the whole thing was a false flag, a fake far-right terrorist group to get her out of circulation. And now she'll be given electroshock therapy and a, fa- and a face change to wipe her brain and remove her from circulation. Mm. 
It's just yeah, real crazy. Happy. Yeah. Just like, listen, you're a, a vocal pro-democracy speaker. We're just going to completely erase you, basically. Right. And just kind of ends. It's, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. But I guess you got to do what you got to do to. I guess. This seems pretty extreme to me, I must say, as we like see electricity going into her brain and Judge Dredd's just like politics, a dirty business and democracy just ain't worth it. Crazy. (laughs) Like, that's a lot, you know. (laughs) But that's sort of like I just kind of like I want to sort of talk about these just to kind of give you like the state of play of like the political situation in, in Mega City One, you know, like these judges are way more are like sort of you know they aren't just good guys they're sort of also these kind of a, 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 a oppressive authoritarians and stuff like that you, know, you can't trust them too much yeah definitely and i mean it makes sense that they have their own agenda uh but i was surprised at the lengths they went to in order to suppress ideas thoughts behaviors yeah definitely uh, but I, I, is that because uh that's the one thing they fear themselves is that if everyone does decide to rise up against them, then they really couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, there's certainly way more mega citizens than there are judges, you know? Right. Um, mm. But I like I think it's a mix of idealism. Like, uh, like, like, Dredd's definitely kind of idealistic about this. Like, we're what stands between all the people of this city and just, like, them be- being, like, barbarians or something like that. Um mm. But I think there's also definitely like if you talk to people maybe higher up in the power structure, like they don't want to give up power or lose like the absolute the absolute rule that 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 the judges enjoy over the city, you know? Like, yeah. I, mean, I was wondering, is there ever like a um, anti-judge group, like some people who are also well trained and equipped that combat the judges, oh, or is it just like this theme, this idea of democracy that is there? A little bit. We'll actually see some of like like that's sort of part of what part of what of what we're gearing up for in the magazine that I'm talking to you about. This basically is a is a story that that's about like um, anti Justice Department um, activists and things like that, and sort of how they kind of fight back and how that goes right and wrong as the story progresses, basically. (laughs) But it's a it's a really great story that I just want you know it's really important to me that you have some grounding in it so we can sort of go from there, basically. I appreciate that. Raising me right. Hey, listen, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have some, do some high fiving when we finally get there. It's like, whoa, all right. I was ready for this. <laughs> but with all that said, and we, uh, you know, we've talked about this, some really uh, current comics. Let's go way back in the past, Eli. Screw this talking about new stuff. I want to talk about the old stuff. Back in the day. Yeah, so we start off with a story called The Academy of Law, uh, script by uh, John Wagner, art by Ian Gibson and, um, and a Mick McMahon. And this is like from uh, Prague's 28 or something, like in, still in like the first year of 2000 AD. Yeah, I uh, found the art refreshing just because it was different. Yeah, you, uh, you can definitely see the happened. differences here from like the more modern dreads elsewhere in here, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, the, the help. Honestly, the helmets made more sense, mm. uh, but they they lose that stylistic look to them. Yeah, now you're like What's that dude wearing that weird helmet. Like it's not. Yeah, uh, no, things have definitely become way more stylized over the over the, mm. the 13 or so years that we've been talking about. 12 or 13 yeah. years we've been talking about Judge Dredd. Yeah, in these early days, you can see like you know like like the knee pads and elbow pads are of reasonable size. Like, the, uh, <laughs> right. like the shoulder eagle is more just sort of a small ornament as opposed to this gigantic deal on his shoulder, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Also, they didn't use as much um, uh, negative space and solid blacks as uh, some of the uh, stuff we saw earlier uh, on mm. this uh, in these. Um, but, that's you know, that's you, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, well, that feels like the style of the time, too. Like, these are from, like, 1977, so they definitely have sort of an older... Mm-hmm. Art style and stuff. Yeah. Um, so we're at the Academy of Law and we learned that Dredd has been a judge for 20 years. And so is about 40 years old at this point. Um, there's also like on the wall in this first image, there's this uh, role of honor, like Cadet Dredd, uh, Dredd Hunt, Wagner Gibson. Mm. 
And then um, if you look sort of in the – like beneath that one, there's one that says Lost in Action. And it's Mills, Moore, Steele, and Alvin. And hmm. many of those are the last names of like writers and editorial folks involved wow. with, with Judge Red. Because if you notice, um, there's no like credit shield here. Mm-hmm. Like in these other ones, there's been like sort of like script robot, art robot and stuff. Right. But in these early progs, in, the, in in these early issues of 2000 AD, like they didn't ever put those in the comic. Mm. So it meant that artists and writers had to be sneaky to try to like slip the names of creators just to kind of have some kind of credit or record that they worked on on, on these comics. That's cool. But so – um, oh, excuse me. But – like Dredd sort of showed around by a robot receptionist. We get a first uh, glance at a future chief judge, uh, Judge Griffin, who's got an eye patch and is sort of the, uh, the, the head of the academy. <laughs> and he is graduating rookie judge giant, son of a character from elsewhere in 2000 AD, John Giant Clay of the Harlem Heroes. Oh. So this is actually a uh, a crossover kind of. Nice. So this guy is so Judge Giant is like the son of a character who's currently like in his twenties elsewhere in two thousand AD at this point. It's cool. So sort of time jumping around and stuff like that. So as a rookie, Giant will shadow Dread until Dread either fails or passes him. This sort of like uh, kind of thing is what like what they did in the uh, in the Dread movie from two thousand twelve, where <laughs> like uh, Judge Anderson or a, yeah, where a cadet Judge Anderson was like going around with, with, with Dread on a case, and he was always talking to me about like, like, you know, like, like we'll see if you pass or fail, basically. Mm, right. And um, I noticed the um, new guy has a different color helmet. Yeah, is that be, supposed to be just all red, and is that something no, they continue moving forward? It's all white, actually, and it's, uh, oh. it's the mark of a of a cadet judge or a rookie judge. Nice. Like when you're a rookie, you wear. They actually say it here, but yeah, you. Uh, when you're a rookie, you wear a white helmet while you're tested, and only once you pass the test do you get the uh, the black helmet of the full judge. You know, that's fun, nice. So yeah, I uh, missed yeah. the the white part. I, I was mean, just it's hard to tell when it's black and white. You know, like <laughs> right. It's sort of it, it could be anything at that point. You know, um, something on the lighter color spectrum, right? Exactly. We see them like uh, go out and, and 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 take some calls. One of them is dealing with a with a footsie, um, someone who suffered from future shock, unable to stand the pace of twenty first century living, and gone crazy because of it. Um, in the course of it, though, Giant makes some big mistakes. He accidentally shoots Dread in the face, which is not not a great sign. Pretty big first mistake, right? Yeah, and then afterwards gives the footsie the wrong uh, sentence. Like, you know, like you don't put them in jail. Like these guys don't go in jail. They go to the psycho cubes or whatever for for medical treatment, not a prison sentence, you know? Right. And he's like, you know what, kid? I think that's it for you. You got to – Yeah. You shot me in the face. That was one strike. And then you – Missentence this guy? Come on, that's that's at least even now. even worse. Luckily, Dread before Dread can fail, Giant an urgent call comes in, and Giant gets a second chance. They go off to answer it. So uh, we see actually uh, Dread and Giant chasing um, a, a perp into the old Harlem Heroes arena. This is where like the Harlem Heroes stories took place, at least partially. Right. Yeah, hey, I thought there was a – I didn't think that was coincidence. I definitely knew something was going on yeah. there. There's a cool – there's a cool – I love this opening thing just because they have a statue of this one team member, uh, Lewis, who in an early ep- episode of the, of the Harlem Heroes, he was in like a big car crash and he died. Well, no. All of his body died. Only his brain survived. And so he spent a fair oh. amount of that story as, as just like a brain in a jar that could like talk to you, th- talk to you through like a speaker attached to the jar and stuff. Wow. And then later in, an, in another story, he actually uh, – he got like a robot body that his brain could plug into. So he was like a robot – a brain in a robot body basically. It's pretty awesome. But that's, I like – I like here they have this this statue of him standing next to his uh, brain jar and stuff. It's pretty right. excellent. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in the stadium, the uh, 
Perps are hiding up in the rafters, so Giant is forced to don an aeroball jetpack to get to take these guys out, tossing a bomb into the goal of the Aeroball Stadium. Oh, it's his first and last airstrike as he sees, mm-hmm. saves this kid. <laughs> Did it all in five seconds. Yeah. Uh, that was- <laughs> a whole thing, cool. you know. But so uh, the final test is that um, Judge Dredd's about to execute these perps and uh, Judge Giant stops him. Like, you know, like, you can't do that. They got to serve their time. And Dredd's like, that's the final test. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, so uh, Judge Giant is uh, given this full, his full eagle and his black helmet. He's a full, he's a full judge. We even get a quick cameo from the original giant from Harlem Heroes. Who's like, hey, let's go have a big party on town to celebrate. And Giant's like, sorry, dad, I've got to go out. And enforce the law. <laughs> right. <laughs> Judge Giant's fun. I just wanted to share this just because I really like this sort of both like what it be, like what it's like to be when you're sort of a rookie judge. You, got, you kind of have to do shakedowns with, with, with a senior judge and stuff like that. And also right. um, Judge Giant's kind of like not – like he, he's a pretty important character. He sort of showed – he showed up from time to time. He died drama- – he was killed dramatically during the run-up to the Apocalypse War storyline. and. Well, as we're reading now, actually, his uh, his uh, secret son, like this kid who he sort of like uh, fathered outside of like, uh, you know, secretly mm-hmm. has just shown up and he's apparently been taken into the Justice Department as well. So he's sort of a, a cadet judge still. But, but nice. we just had, had a big story of him and Dredd going out and like basically cadet giant having like a ride along with, with, with Dredd. And like, you know, oh, yeah, like this kid's got potential. I can feel it, you know. Right. <laughs> nice. But sort of introduction of one of these like sort of minor dread characters, basically. Yeah, they're definitely cool. Yeah, no, I like them a lot. Um, so next up, oh, man, speaking of minor dread characters, it's The Return of Rico. Uh, script by Pat Mills, art robot Mike McMahon. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. You get to see that they started getting a little bit further into the uh, uh, solid black marks and like negative space. Oh yeah, uh, how old this one is? But I mean, definitely- this one's this one like just to give you an idea. This one's literally from like two progs after the one that we just looked at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those uh, classic styles of the comics are starting to uh, to be more consistent and come to the forefront. Yeah, like the like just like you know the like the 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 second part of Academy of Law was Prague twenty eight, and this one's Prague thirty, basically. So nice. It's just so so, so, so these are some interesting like sort of world building stories right in the uh, right at the start of Judge Dredd, just kind of a, 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 a establishing this world basically. So this one's yeah so. Rico Dread's a pretty big story, just in terms of just like, yeah, of like setting up like the history of Dread and stuff. Um, hmm. We see a man named Rico get off a uh, a space liner and sort of go into the city. He uh, hmm. gets the address of um, of uh, Judge Dread, and then as Dread's like taking down lawbreakers and stuff like that, we see Rico. Um, like breaking into his apartment and like tossing around his uh his Italian landlady Maria and stuff like that. <laughs> so as um as Dread goes to his apartment, Rico gets the drop on him, like kicks him down and stuff like that. Like the air is real thin. Like he's sucked all the air out of their apartment and sort of knocks out Dread. Uses this time to monologue essentially. Right, one does. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Yeah. So we kind of flash back. Um, we learned that both Joe and Rico, like, like, you know, Judge Dredd is, 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 uh, Joe, is named Joe Dredd. That's like his first name. And his brother was Rico Dredd. They were both clones from Superior Judge Stock. While Rico was better at the academy, he then went bad, taking bribes, running a protection racket, stuff like that. And Uh, is this where we get to see, uh, that badge at the top being used as a mask? I see like Oh yeah yeah um, I think that's an example of it. Yeah, it's sort of an early art style, but you okay. can see in the thin air that he sort of pulled his like he- like like the uh the shield on the helmet down to kind of cover his head there. 
Nice. That's cool. You know, it's different now just because I think that, you know, because the helmet itself is so different. Like we, right. like you said, that it sort of looks different now, but that's sort of the idea. Right. That makes sense. But so the evil, because Rico went bad, um, Dread sent him to Titan, which is the judge prison. He served there for 20 years, which are now out. He's back and he's got this crazy cyber face that allowed him to survive in the moon of Saturn. It's terrifying. Yes. Yeah, just looking at it, I was a little confused of what was actually what, like where the mouth is, where the nose, yeah. like, you know. He's got uh, like big, like puckered lips, but he can't talk out of them, it seems. It seems like he's talking out of like a voice box on his throat or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to mess with this guy. No, listen, he's been through some rough, t- rough stuff, basically. Like you got to have some stuff done to you to survive on the moon of Saturn, you know? Yeah. But so with all this done... Rico demands a uh, like a an old west style showdown with uh, with Joe, like draw, you know. And while Rico used to be faster than Dread, that's no longer the case. He slowed down while he was on Titan, and uh, so Dread Dread is able to kill his brother and carry him out. We get a a touching moment as the rest of the Justice Department, as the rest of the judges show up to help him out. And they're like, all right, take that body away. But Dredd says, no, he carries out himself. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Right. Actually, I remember seeing this image in uh, one of our previous uh, yep. views. I'm glad I got to read this one. Yeah, I think I forget. what. Yeah, because I, I, I think we talked about case for treatment in that one, too. Um, and there's sort of, yeah, some, some, uh, some recap of that for sure. Like, I mean, this was actually like – this or, or no, no, sorry. It was in those histories of dread we saw this image. Um, Got it. But yeah, this is a real iconic dread image of of him carrying Rico out. Um, you mm-hmm. know, a- after he's killed him and stuff. The way that these uh, characters, you know, the way this character ends, just, just, yeah. despite it happening really early in Dread's run, it's something that that sort of echoes down through um, the, the 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 Dread storyline that he had this this clone brother that went bad, and also just yeah. the idea that like judges that break the law go to go to this moon of Titan for like twenty years, right. where they kind of get irreparable surgeries and you know bad things happen to them basically, right? And they get slower with the drawing, right? Well, you know, yeah, they just aren't shooting, gu- you know, like. They just aren't shooting guns like they used to because, you know, they've been too busy breaking rocks or whatever in space. Right. Yeah. To, uh, you know, work on uh, on their shooting skills, you know. That's what, so that's the real message is when you go to Titan, you know, keep keep the, keep that quick draw technique. Yeah. Down. You gotta or, that. Yeah. At least like spend a week like sharpening back up before you go to challenge your brother who's been active on the streets for 20 years, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like you gotta like you know yeah you can't just assume that your skills haven't haven't dulled in that time you know right. <laughs> all right so let's go to our final story here Muty the pig <laughs> and oh no Eli Judge Dredd is dead ah uh, it's real sad uh, he already died once in these a uh, couple uh, stories ago. Uh, yeah. No, he died in the future. He's died in the past. He dies a fair amount, you know? This time? Or I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. He was killed by the evil lawbreaker, Moody, Moody the Pig. At his massive funeral, everybody says nice things, including Dredd's academy mate, Judge Gibson. We learned that Dredd was killed while investigating Moody the Pig and that when he did so, he was actually killed by Judge Gibson, who is Beauty the Pig. Oh, no. He was able to see this because Beauty the Pig has a really weird gun stance that is apparently only what the judges use. So this guy must be a judge in disguise. Right. And he uh, left-handed. So he went through the uh, left-handed judges. He was like, all right, so that can be that guy. There are only three. He only came with like three people. Yeah, there's only so many, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Picked out two of them and was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But apparently it seems like Judge Gibson has been putting on this mutant costume to like rob people and do all that stuff. Now, the only judge that was on the case, uh, Judge Dredd taken out of the way, he's free to do his crimes as he, see fit, as he sees fit. But as he goes to stick up a bar, suddenly a voice comes from behind him. It's Judge Dredd. He's alive again. 
Figuring it out. Yeah. Judge Dredd reveals he faked his own death and the two judges then decide to have a uh, a showdown back at the Academy of Law. Like yeah. it used to be boxing back in the day, but now it's just like, uh, you know, shooting each other basically in a uh, in, in, in like a combat field. Yes. Um, some pretty good like – just jumping around, shooting things, some kind of silly right. things where, like, uh, Gibson shoots a heat-seeking bullet, and the only way to counter it is with another heat-seeking bullet, which I'm not sure that's how it works. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> there's some more, like, there's a little cameo, I think, where um, they shoot a street sign that's Grover Street, just because Grant, mm-hmm. like, uh, Grover's a, a pseudonym that John Wagner uses quite a bit. That seems like it's a, it might be a reference to that or something like that. But in the end, Dread takes out Gibson, like, and uh, Gibson dies in his arms. And because of that, Dread goes to remove Gibson's name from the honor roll of the class of '79, just like he did for his brother Rico many years before. That's tough, and it's kind of a callback to the first throwback story we had because that first one, at the Academy of Law, also right. has that role of honor, and Gibson's one of the names there. It's, he's yeah. also Ian Gibson, one of the artists working on this story as well, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think that was cool that these stories so uh, far separated still had these ties that still kind of connect them. But I mean, that's the thing is that it's a continuous world, you know, that yeah. all this is just ties into the world building and makes it that much more believable. I mean, especially here, because all these stories, like I said, are really close, close together. Like this Mutie the Pig stories from Prague's 34 and 35. So the first one we read was 27 and 28. So it's less than 10 weeks from the first story we, we read to this last one. So it is sort of like they've sort of had one already, like they've just finished the first big Dread epic, which was like this robot rebellion, basically. And now it seems like Judge Dredd sort of is like the favorite, you know, it's, it's, it's the favorite comic in, in 2000 AD. And it's sort of like, all right, this thing's going to stick around for a little while. So let's sort of develop this character and his world a little bit, you know, <laughs> Cause, right. you know, just for long term purposes, you know. Definitely. It shows. I mean, it, it all came out really well. I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in that world building. As I said, I'm, as a creator myself, uh, creating a believable world is so important and difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, I hope you're finding, you know, we're kind of coming to come to the end of our comics here, but I hope that, um, yeah, you feel like, I don't know, that dread in his world kind of hangs together and stuff like that, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it definitely does. Like we've covered such a big, a big swath of dread's history here, sort of, I mean, just kind of by what I picked, you know, we kind of had stuff from the first year of dread and from the most recent year that we've covered. So. It is um, – so, you know, I, I like that, you know, if this character seems consistent through all that time. I mean, it's partially because it's been the same writer almost the whole time. Sort of, sort of you know, he's had it in his head, John Wagner. But also, um, you know, just sort of keeping the art kind of consistent or evolving, I guess, as time, time, time goes by. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, I think my most interesting thing is uh, Dredd's uh, sense of justice. Mm. Uh, it was the first um, take on him like – doing something underhandedly almost in order yeah. in justice so far it's been like you know beat the bad guy uh clever quip every once in a while you know these jokes uh but it's always been like um uh, on the up and up you know oh it's hard but i gotta do it and this is the first time it's like hey i need you to break this democracy thing up i don't care how you do it yeah it's Even much it's much it less sort so, 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 uh lily white than you might think it is like there's sort of definitely yeah. like these shades of gray shades of black like i'm just sort of that this character might be more than you might assume that he is you know exactly and i, I think that's really interesting so i mean as uh time goes on i'm curious as if i feel um if i start questioning the judge's sense of justice uh nice. so far and agreeing with it like oh yeah yeah, yeah. that makes sense. yeah you got to do it for the thing no uh, for sure they, yeah oh, maybe they're wrong uh, who, who can say i think it's definitely a question to keep in mind for sure like i think that's the big the big question to always have in mind about judge dread how this character interacts as being an authoritarian but also mm-hmm. sort of dealing with big problems and stuff 
and and, that, and and that's where I think a lot of like of the of the of of what's interesting about Dread is you know because he's different than even like like a superhero vigilante or something you know he is basically a cop so he sort of has that like he has the state with him as he does stuff and so right. how how what he does and how he enforces the law reflects like on the on the government he serves and the world that he lives in as well as just on his own personal motivations. Yeah, I I've even seen his night shift, so I already know he's you know he's got a lot he's dealing with. But. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but you know you gotta. Well, there's a lot going on. That's when it's more important to be just. You know what I'm saying? Like not less. Right. You know. <laughs> awesome. Oh man, yeah, we've got a ways to go, but I'm really excited with just with talk about this, and as we're getting closer and closer to the magazine. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed this trek into the history of Judge Dredd. We'll be doing a few more of these to prep for the, megaz- for the magazine. Until then, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or on our Facebook or on our podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, look up SpaceSpinner2000. And we should be there. And come back next time as we're going to meet one of Dredd's great villains. Like, he's a guy who manages to either kill bad guys or put them in jail where they stay for long periods of time. Which means that it takes a special kind of bad guy to um, to go up against Dredd multiple times. And I think right. we'll see if he's finally met his match as we meet Judge Death. Whoa. <laughs> it's real awesome. Listen... That that which is dead can never be killed. And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Eli, and we are Big Mac One, Splunge